All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am here with Haley. She is from the Austin Wildlife Rescue. Thank you so much for being here and doing this with us. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah. so glad that you invited me on. Of course. And um, we always start these, as you may know, it's kind of just a free form interview, but also a fun dialogue and discussion. And we usually start by just hearing about your background. So if you don't mind telling us, what was what was life growing up for Haley? <laughs> well, of course, I loved animals, like everyone who works with animals and many people that even don't work with animals and want to. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted to do something with animals. I grew up with dogs and cats and a gerbil named Holly and um, I didn't know what so when I went to uh, to high school they didn't have a program they put me in a nursing program that was the closest thing that was animal related back then really yeah oh Uh, my gosh that wasn't my field I found out Um, where did you grow up in uh, Cedar Park Leander Oh, okay. So you were born in Central Mm -hmm. Texas and raised in Central Texas. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of us left. Yeah, no, Um, there's really not. (laughs) I was too. So Mm -hmm. born and raised native Texan. And when you got to that program Mm -hmm. for, was it nursing? For nursing, yeah. They Mm -hmm. just started going into human anatomy and stuff. And you're like, maybe this will carry over one day. Yeah, you know, and I even ended up TAing anatomy later in college. So it's kind of funny that that worked out that way. But yeah, um, yeah, when I got to A&M, I started at... um, the vet program, didn't know which direction I wanted to go and worked at a vet's office and didn't really enjoy it. Like didn't connect with it. Didn't really like some aspects of it. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. And so uh, they had a wildlife program um, and I started doing that. I did an internship at a, um, a wildlife rehab center in Candelia, Texas near Blanco. Uh-huh. And um, I liked it. I thought it could be something I really liked. I liked seeing the animals, you know, not in cages and yeah. not, contained well of course cages when they're being cared for but then getting to go back into the wild they yeah. want to live in a cage the rest of their life right and that was huge for me that was something really important that I liked seeing so um yeah I kind of kept going that way when you were doing that what kind of animals were did you begin working with just the simple so, ones yeah so native native Texas wildlife I yeah. would say the most common are probably like raccoons possums skunk squirrels and birds yeah yeah oh that's so cool mm-hmm. and do you have any of any favorite animals right now like that you love to see all the time? Uh, well, you know, we get thousands of possums every year, but I just think they're the most misunderstood animal. And yeah. the babies are the cutest. I don't know if you've seen a baby possum, but oh, uh, yeah. very cute and very misunderstood. And, and people just, you know, they have all these misconceptions about them. So I think for that reason, um, I, I do really like possums. I uh, trapped a baby possum in my mom's office one time. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> my mom was like extending her office on this house and... Uh, she was like, something's living inside here. And I like poked my head in there and I just saw like everything was tore up. But I recognized the poop because I've been wildlife tracking for many years. Uh-huh. I, do, I love wildlife tracking. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And I recognized it right away. And I was like, mom, you got a possum in here. And she's like, what do I do? I was like, no worries. So I'm big into survival skills and uh-huh. I love making traps. So I set up this little, uh, I think it's called a Paiute deadfall and a laundry basket. Mm-hmm. And I put some banana and honey on there with oh, some yeah. peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And it within like five minutes, you heard it's thunk. And I was like, oh, I got it. So I walked in there and I just um, just reached in there and it got to the back, mm-hmm. kind of hissed a little and just opened its mouth. And I just kind of gently got around and just lifted it up. And mm-hmm. I stayed with it for about, a, I don't know, 40 minutes or so just to, mm-hmm. I loved it. I thought it was cute. It was very small. It was, you know, it was about as big as two softballs or so. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I let it go in the backyard and never got back in. But I have seen lots of baby possums and I think they're so adorable. So can you tell us anything unique about them that the the people listening may not know? 
Yeah, I've got a list for you. Yeah, let's go. Possum <laughs> okay. City. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, only marsupial in North America. Yeah. Carrying their babies in their pouch. Up to 13 babies at one time. Wow. Which I think people just don't believe. So they're born the size of a bean. They barely have any developed parts of their body except their arms to climb into the pouch and attach onto mom and stay there. Yeah. Um, they eat all kinds of things that people don't want around. So that's our biggest kind of push when we're telling people they want possums in their yard. They have them in their yard, whether they like them or not. Awesome. Um, but they eat uh, ticks, ones that carry diseases. They eat snakes that can even be venomous. And uh, they eat dead matter. So they're also cleaning up the environment. So, um, Yeah, I really feel like they don't get enough credit. They don't. Anywhere near. And you know, their body temperature is too low to carry rabies. Whoa. I think that's the biggest Did y'all hear that? One. Yeah. Too low to carry rabies. That's low. awesome. Yeah. But I've also heard that you said that they eat venomous snakes, but I've they heard do. when venomous snakes bite them that they are not affected. They're not. That's actually how some of the anti-venom has been developed. Wow. Is from them. Again, I'm just... So. Possums, we owe it. We we owe a lot to them. And I I say, I think I saw a meme one time. It said, um, like they've never been a mascot for anything because everybody thinks they're just hideous (laughs) and they just get all the hatred in the world from a lot of people who, you know, they think a lot of, um, animals are cute, but man, you know, some people, they're vitriol for those things. They're just so ugly with the beady little eyes and the Mm. teeth and they have more teeth in their mouth than any other North American mammal. Is that correct? They do 50 teeth, 50 teeth, 50 they use those also. That's the other thing people think they're rabid because when they're scared, either they play dead or they open their mouth. They show you those 50 teeth and they start drooling at you. Yeah. And, and they're hoping. E- either one of those looks <laughs> yeah. a little scary. Pull Walk the away. mic up to the mouth just a little <laughs> bit more. That. There you okay. go. Yeah. Just so I can hear you fully. Um, and so with possums, um, the 13 babies, uh, only marsupial. And I've noticed that up in the north, um, some of my wildlife tracking buddies, they say sometimes they find them in their tracks and like they're missing digits. And I was like, well, why would that be? And they said, I think it's frostbite. So are their fingers and little toes, are they capable of that? Like we are like they're it's sensitive skin. Very sensitive. Yeah. Yes. And, they and the tail have, too. Yeah. They have the tail that is prehensile. They can't actually fully hang from it. Like you see in a lot of pictures. Yeah. Um, but they have the opposable thumb on their back feet. And so, yeah, they're, their fingers are working a lot like ours do. And we've, we've seen some come in that have either had an injured finger. They even frostbite when we've had some of these really cold winters. Oh, and, wow. Um, they do okay with a few less. Yeah. They need to. <laughs> and I think that those um, pictures that you were just referring to about possums hanging by their tail, I think that mm-hmm. that's like a staged thing. It's yeah. got to be like photograph <laughs> photographers are staging those because they don't like, I don't think to descend by something that's connected to their spine because that would be very uncomfortable right yeah but i have seen them crossing uh, like from tree to tree and grabbing one branch as they step to the other and using it like a little balance point it's definitely there it's for balance and and just yeah yeah balance is the most important for them i just think they're so cool and they don't get enough um respect so procyon loaders what about, what about our look little... Look you with your raccoons, right? I love nature. I'm telling you, I'm a, look at my book list over there. It's just like, that's a fox hat up there, a skunk hat. Wow. Um, that hat's made of mushrooms. Um, I just love it all. I think animals are way, you know, less valued now, especially wildlife. Like, people love their cats and their dogs and, like, the weird things. Like, you know, even the Tiger King got a lot of popularity. Yeah. But where's yeah. our Tiger King for possums? Yeah. <laughs> where's the possum king <laughs> that's what we need to really promote yeah these, uh, the wild animals that are so important to have in the backyard yeah because yeah. they're really the ones doing all the work as far as like 
caretaking the land. Like you're saying, possums are eating things that are going discarded and they're almost like little vultures that are on the ground in a way. Yes, that's a yeah. good way of yep, describing them. So, but back to the raccoons, what mm-hmm. is your opinion of them? I know a lot of people hate them. They do. You know, it makes me sad. I, I get it a little bit. Um, we take in, I would say, five to 600 raccoons each year. Oh my, that's like yeah. more than one a day. <laughs> we have, oh yeah, we get litters and litters a day. That's right? insane. Spring. Yeah. So we have two rooms full of them right now. Just only raccoons. Wow. And um, they're busy. They're very busy. They're messy. They, you know, you clean their cage, you put a clean bowl of water and some fresh toys in there and you come back five minutes later and it looks like you didn't clean their cage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, did they, is that just them? Like, I think they just revel in chaos. They do. They love it. I think you know, it's They just, like to be busy. Yeah. yeah. Evolutionarily, oh, I'm just wondering, I, I'm, this is how my brain works. I'm like, what caused it to be like that? <laughs> like, so mischievous and always mm-hmm. into things. It's got to be the fact that soil needs turning and things need flipping over. Bears do a great job of that there out in the woods. <laughs> but, oh, it just boggles my mind. I saw this guy one time who had a pet one and it had gotten up into the vent. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it reached all these access points of the house and the house was just thrashed. Yeah. So they have, have they ever caused any damage to your facilities? Like, or because they're in the cage... Not really. Not not really. We make sure, though, that they have, you know, they compare them to like a two to three year old in terms yeah. of how smart they are. Right. Um, and so we need to make sure that they're they're busy all the time. And so uh, the ones outside, if you see our outside cages, they have like little playscapes. Or yeah. They have little slides or little like cars like two and three year olds would have. And they play on those and they play on like ropes and ladders. And we put their food in different like bags and things where they have to really think about how to get it out. Yeah. So, so when a raccoon comes in, let's just say what would be a typical case of somebody like, why would, why do you think people bring in litters of raccoons? They just find them and they're like, you need this. <laughs> they don't understand. They need to stay there. That is, that is one thing. Yeah. Sometimes wow. they don't, but you know what happens with the raccoons? A lot of the time is people will trap the mom and you know, they think they have some pesky raccoon in their attic or in their yard oh. or under their porch. They trap the mom. They haul her away, and then two days later, they have these crying babies that they didn't realize were there. Oh. That is a big reason and why we discourage trapping on a lot of levels. Sure. Uh, trapping is not the answer most of the time. Yeah. And most of this time of the year, the spring and summer, it discourages, we discourage it even more because then you just orphan the babies. Right. And now you've got a whole new set of problems on yes. your hand. And yep. does d- do the droughts, like, do you see increases in certain moments when there's droughts or forest fires or anything like that? You know, mast years of uh, nut production from trees, anything? Mm -hmm. It does seem like when we have the drought years, um, more things will come in down, like really, you know, dehydrated and and just struggling. And so we encourage people, you know, we don't want people to feed wildlife most of the time. We want them to find their own food. But when we get these really bad droughts, like we were just in until this this rain, you know, putting a little water out, that doesn't hurt anything. You know, that really helps some of these animals that are struggling when all the water sources are drying up. Yeah. And so it's good for them. So, yeah, we do. I would say fires, we don't really see an increase. I don't know if the animals are able to either outrun it or they just don't make it. Yeah. Uh, But drought seems to be in the heavy, heavy rains, too. Yeah. We have some little um, hispid cotton rats that live back here in this grass. And we put out a bowl and I put up a camera and Mm -hmm. it and it, you know, was first time the camera was out. It was like, what is that? And it came right up to it and like booped its (laughs) nose and the little lens. And it's super cute. We got hummingbirds back there. I just Mm -hmm. love wildlife in and around my house all the time. I, I kind of grew up with this sense of, um, I was, you know, raised some in San Antonio and we would always go to the zoo and, you know, I've been to Mm -hmm. the Bronx zoo and all these different zoos. But as soon as I got into survival and I would wander around the woods and I'd like see deer, 
and I'd see like foxes like cleaning their paws and different things in ways that I'd like wake up early in the morning, go sit in the woods, just still and alone and quiet. And they would see them doing these things. So I started realizing like, wait, I want to see animals on their terms. Exactly. I don't want to see it on our terms, like mm-hmm. which is a zoo, um, but certain zoos. Uh, I just had a wonderful uh, guest on the other day, Hope. She r- helps run the Austin City Zoo, and some of those animals are like rehabilitation situations for those large animals. So we just get an opportunity to see them in transition. But um, yeah, so that's why I set up that big bowl of water outside and just get to see all the hummingbirds and different things come feeding. So um, with the raccoons and them being so... Um, you know, into things. Has there ever been somebody who brought one in that's like, or or had you, let me back up. Do you go get them or are they only brought in? Like, does anybody from the wildlife rescue go out and uh, get them? They're mainly brought in. They're mainly brought in. Usually our staff is is tight and it's limited always and we just get more animals each year. So um, I would like to see us do that eventually where we have a service that does that. But for now, either they're brought in or Austin Animal Control, um, actually several animal controls around Austin and the surrounding counties will bring us. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is like, has a raccoon ever gotten into anything? Then you're just like, uh, we just brought the whole thing because we can't get it out. (laughs) Right. Because I know they're so good at getting into things that you're like, Mm -hmm. why are you doing? How'd you get in there? So, yeah, we, I mean, we've had some covered in insulation. We've had some with their heads stuck stuck in jars or stuck in in things. (laughs) You know, their paws are stuck in something that they can't get it out of. And at least it makes them easier to to catch, to bring to us. Sure. Uh, But yeah, they're sometimes they're covered in. You never know what they're covered in. Wow. I've heard other rumors about when they grab onto things, they refuse to let it go. So that's one way to get their foot that they stick things in. So they'll put their hand in something and grab, but then they don't want to let it go to get their foot out. So they'll just stay there for hours. And I wonder if that's a true statement or not. I've heard a lot of people in the survival world try to say you can trap raccoons like that, you know, for survival purposes. They're pretty smart. I actually think they would let go. That's what I think too. They move their hand. You know, they're constantly like pawing at the water or feeling they use their hands to actually feel their food before they eat it and they play in the water. So they're constantly moving. Yeah. I think they would be smart enough to, uh, to open it up. That's what I think too. But I, when I hear those stories, I'm like, I'm going to confirm that with a professional. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, thanks so much for being here. The other thing is I've heard that um, their fingers have certain sensory receptors. That's like 40,000 times more than ours or something like that. Do mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that, and that's kind of what I was saying with the, the feel, like when we give them food, a lot of times they're, they don't put it in their mouth right away. Yeah. They're always touching it and rolling it around and putting it in water and figuring out what it is. And it almost seems like they're doing that with their hands instead of, they're not even looking at it. Sometimes you can watch them look at you. I've they're seen them it do that. Yeah. So I've seen yeah. them go right up to like a thing of water and just like dunk something and not even yep. look at what, and then just <laughs> run. I'm like, what are you doing? One time I saw a video of a one that entered a garage and these cats were, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's hysterical. All these cats are just sitting there, probably eight or nine cats and they're staring at this raccoon and this raccoon's like, Oh, well, it, am I gonna, uh? and he's kind of inching towards this food bowl. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. He haunches up on his two, like, back legs like mm. run, no no he runs forward on all fours grabs a huge oh scoop with his two front legs and runs away on his back <laughs> legs and these cats are just like holy cow are you kidding <laughs> and this the the ears the way the cat's ears perk up and look at it go by i was like uh, i wonder how many times somebody's caught something like that or seen something like that and just get totally blown away that they are in fact bipedal you know because bears are yes. bipedal mm-hmm. and they're kind of i wouldn't say related to bears but kind of close right mm-hmm. raccoons um so have you ever do you ever get to see them do like little playful things like that walking around on two legs carrying things 
Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen them on two legs. I, probably three more. They have like the one, whatever they need in their one hand. Oh, so they will um, carry things around. They'll carry besides. things. Yep. And I've seen videos too where they, uh, like the cat is on top of the deck eating the food and they reach up from no. under the deck and they start getting the bits of food and bringing it under the deck. Oh, so. it's so adorable. <laughs> yeah. I just can't and so help smart. it. Yeah. That's very smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do ever. So question when they come in, um, young, are, are there little challenges that you give them, like toys that maybe, I don't know why you would, but I'm just curious mm-hmm. about it, if there's anything that stimulates them beyond just a food and a play toy? Is there like any challenging puzzles? Like you're going to put the food in a box and in order to get the box open, to mm-hmm. is there anything like that? That would be cool. But yeah. with the, I think we're limited because of the sheer number, like the volume of oh, raccoons that we're taking in. Right. Um, so we try that to do some sense. extra enrichment stuff once they're outside. When they're when they're inside, you know, they kind of go from that incubator, the tiny little incubator babies that we're feeding every four hours, to like a large crate where they're up in the hammock and they're playing and they're making a mess. And then outside is when we, we try to do, you know, Again, not a full-on puzzle, but, like, we'll put their food in something or we'll give them Kongs, just like the dogs with oh. butter in them. Oh, um, yeah, you okay. know, whatever ice ice with, like, frozen fruit in it is a fun one because it's easy to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we give them stuff to, to do to keep them busy. Like, as I said, fire hoses and stuff to swings, kids' toys, whatever we can to keep them entertained. Yeah. yeah. And so how um, you you went to this nursing program and then eventually you went into a wildlife, what was it specifically? Um, I think it was a, uh, wildlife and fisheries at A&M. At A&M. That's where I started. And you did four years there? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, how, what was your first job with, um, getting that degree? So then I, when I finished, when I graduated, I did the internship at the, um, wildlife rescue and rehab, mm-hmm. which is, um, outside of Blanco. That was six months. And then I came back to Austin, you know, trying to figure out what I was doing. And yeah. um, Emancipet, the low-cost spay and neuter yeah. um, place they were hiring. And so I vet teched there, and then um, Wildlife Rescue in, in Austin was hiring a manager. And so I was like, well, let's yeah. see where How it goes. How long have you been the manager there? Uh, so that was 2007. Wow. Um, so Congratulations. Thank that's a, you. That's a long time. It is. 13, I left for a little while. 15 years. I left, and I went to grad school at Texas State. Yeah. Um, what did you so learn there? That was Wildlife Ecology. Wildlife, wildlife Ecology. Yeah, which is an amazing program for yeah. anybody interested in wildlife they have an amazing program very good um and then i you know i did some things for a while didn't really know and I, yeah i came back just a few years later so yeah couldn't get away i couldn't get away i really like it yeah that's cool <laughs> do you feel like uh, do you know what ikigai is no ikigai it's a i believe it's a japanese word and it means the zen purpose for life or zen purpose for living so what mm-hmm. it is is it is four circles that mm-hmm. come together and when all four of them meet, there's a little star, and it's that which you are passionate about, that which you can be paid for, that which you're good at, and that mm-hmm. which the world needs. So, would you think oh. you think that's your icky guy? Yeah, yeah, I do. I yeah, I love it. And you know, I think about sometimes I started in the animal care side of things. Obviously, mm-hmm. now I'm the executive director, so I have a, a sad you know desk job. <laughs> a lot of the time, I do the the fundraising and the social media and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm still there, you know, I'm still, I'm taking the pictures for social media and that kind of thing. And still kind of really involved with the animal care side of things, even though I don't do as much of it anymore. So it's good. I can walk out of an office and still see hundreds of animals. Yeah. It's all social media pretty big. It it is. We're getting there. Yeah. We've kind of built it up from, you know, like everyone does very little to 23,000 Facebook followers or something. So we are getting there. Yeah. Yeah. When you have amazing pictures, you know, of cute animals. Yeah. It's easy. Right. Yeah. So that's awesome, though. <laughs> and, and does that 
you know, through your social media, you know, uh, posts, are you generating interest in how to like get volunteers and like, do y'all take volunteers? We do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We try to use social media for multiple platforms, obviously to educate about the animals, but also, you know, what to do if you find something cool facts about possums, cool facts about possums, Um, what to do if, you know, what to do, what not to do. And then, you know, education if we can. And then, yeah, if we're hiring, if we want volunteers, if we need something, yeah, you know, like recently we, so we have 60 or 70 deer right now, fawns, and they eat um, browse. So most people don't know what browse, they're grazers and browsers. So like a cow is a grazer, it's going to eat grass. And then a deer is a um, browser. They're going to eat up higher. They're going to eat the leaves and some branches and sticks and all that. And so we need the browse. We need like tree limbs. And so we posted some deer eating some browse and a whole truckload of it. And we go through a truckload a day. That's how many wow. deer we have. So people have been, and it worked. People have been trimming their trees or, or going someplace and trimming other people's trees that need it and bringing us these truckloads. And is it any of type of, any type of tree? They can just eat dart. Are they goats? They're almost like. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some, they're, they're a little picky, but not totally. And then yeah. there's things like they, they'll eat poison ivy, but please don't bring us poison ivy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't do that. I've so, seen them eat poison ivy before yeah. and that blew my mind. They don't mind it. Um, yeah. So there's a list on um, parks and wildlife, but we also posted on our Facebook kind of what the top maybe six or seven yeah they really like that's awesome it's been great because we just don't have a way to to go out and get it every single day but people can bring it to us it's you know it's free yeah Yeah. well i mean then isn't aren't don't places like charge you to drop your brush off at too right it's like bring it to the please bring it to us please yeah why not (laughs) it's a free version and you're feeding the deer exactly that's a (laughs) win-win for everybody that's really good to know so when we got folks out there listening who you if you clear land and you want to help out Austin Wildlife Rescue, please bring mm-hmm. the brush to them so that the deer can browse. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's great. So the most typical rescues, what would you say those are? So you said possum, raccoon, and then what are some other ones? Uh, yeah, so squirrels, cottontails, and um, songbirds are, and song are big, birds. probably our big five or six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what kind of songbirds are we talking? So anywhere from like the mockingbird. Mm-hmm. State, state bird of texas yeah. um to uh blue jays um wrens sparrows swallows mm-hmm. uh, purple martins woodpeckers and yeah. what and when they bring those in like what are they bringing in are they bringing in a baby a broken wing um this hit my house and it doesn't look like it's doing so good <laughs> so all of those are great yeah all of those are good reasons in the springtime in the summertime like now we're getting all the babies well, baby, you know, whether the nest fell, maybe they cut down a, a tree oh, um, okay. or we had a heavy storm or we had a heavy wind. Mom didn't build the nest that great. Uh, whether the nest fell and they couldn't get it back up or, you know, people pick up. This is one of the biggest misconceptions. People see these little birds on the ground and they think they need to save it. Yes. Um, Talk about that. Please. Unfortunately, they're they're usually not correct. Um, so they're called fledglings. Mm-hmm. And that's after they come out of the nest. They have most of their feathers. And they need to spend like three to four days, sometimes up to a week on the ground, really learning to fly. The parents will feed them from the ground, take care of them, teach them what they actually need to learn. And then within a week, they're up to where you don't even see them anymore. They're up in a tree. They're up on a branch. They're under some bushes. A lot of times you don't know they're there anyway. Most people have never seen a baby bird. But if you have, you don't have to save it just because it's on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) I uh, was turning onto my street one time uh, with my friend Carter and... I told him, I was like, dude, I was like, that is an Eastern screech owl on the ground. <laughs> and it flew off instantly. And there was like a little mini one behind it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Al Carter. I was like, do you know what that is? I was like, that's a fledgling. I was like, and all, and not because I stopped, mm-hmm. 
it was on this road where it was kind of, you know, started to back traffic up and people started to get out and be oh like, what gosh. is going on? And then all these lights were shining on this house and this people who own this house come mm-hmm. out. And I was like, guys, listen, look, look. And I explained to everyone because they immediately were like, do we need to call rescue? And I was like, no. I was like, that's mom. She's teaching it. It's just figuring out its bearings. It's got to be down here. It's in a very, incon- you know, it's not in a good spot being right behind this car. Mm-hmm. So, but I was like, it's going to walk around and move. And so, yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of fledglings on the ground. And I was under that same information that you just don't pick them up because mom's probably just training them and bringing them things and letting them get their bearings. She is. Yep. So. Um, and, you know, another misconception is that people, if you touch an animal, like mom's going to abandon it. Yeah. It's not true at all. Very so so if you have like, again, the screech owl, like you said, or a bird that maybe is on the sidewalk, like it's really not in a convenient place. Someone may step on it or something like that. You can actually pick it up yeah. and you can move it just a little ways, not too far, Got but it. you can move it under a bush or something and it's going to call for mom. Mom yeah. will still, you know, take care of it. So, um, birds barely have a sense of smell, most of the songbirds. So they wouldn't even know, not that you should touch baby birds all the time, but if you did, they wouldn't really even know that you they don't have baby. a sense of smell. So some like vultures have do, have extreme sense of smells, but like songbirds and stuff don't have much of a sense of smell. Whoa, hmm, mm-hmm. man, that that that's something new to me. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess I never really perceived what the sense of smell would be like for a bird, or mm-hmm. what it would need to. Po- I guess everything's visually via berries and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do the what do the animals eat when you bring them in? Like so, the birds. Like, do they just like uh, let's say it is a fledgling and it is a passerine type bird? What what do they um, what do they get served? So served, I like that. Yes, I mean we do have a diet uh, for each one, yeah. um, depending on the type of bird. So if we have um, you know the bigger like the mockingbirds and the grackles and the blue jays, they get this mix of um, bugs. Sure. And we soak dog food in a couple different vitamins and calcium, and they get that. Yeah. And um, and bird seed because they'll eat a little bit of everything. And then we have um, you know, our bug specific birds like um, swallows. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will just get bugs. So we order um, mealworms, superworms, and crickets. Those are the big three. And we spend thousands of dollars on bugs every year. Wow. Um, and so just depending, um, like woodpeckers, we have a special setup. You know, they want to hang on to a at the side of a tree and so we use peanut butter and we put the worms on the tree so they can go up and on the tree and actually pick the bugs off the tree wow um, so Interesting. every yeah every bird has its own diet every mammal has its own and we have kind of like enrichment food too or days like we rotate who gets what so like possums have a fruit day and a bug day and a nut day and a protein day and a chicken day and um we make sure they're getting everything i mean you think about in the wild you know they find what they find and that's what they eat. Yeah. And so we need to make sure we can sort of match that and give them a huge variety of food. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were talking about woodpeckers a second ago and it made me think about, you know, a lot of people think they're like, well, they just peck at that thing because (laughs) they're trying to build a home. And I'm like, actually they're very intelligent and they know that sap flows from some of these trees. And what that sap does is it, you know, attracts insects and then they return to eat the insects and people are just like, Oh, that makes so much sense. I'm like, yeah, that's so they're not just for a home all day. I was like, (laughs) imagine that. Like, God. And then I know something unique about their, is it their tongue? Is it their tongue? Is it mockingbird? Crazy or, long. Yes, yes it is. But I think a hummingbird does too. I was almost getting they confused. Mm-hmm. But it wraps around their skull. Yep. Is that correct? It's cool to see the, oh. the diagrams of that. Um. I, I gotta see it up <laughs> like in person. I want to see anatomy of a of a woodpecker. <laughs> is it? Tr- do you know? Uh, do you know what kind of woodpeckers we have around here? 
So we have uh, the downy woodpeckers are the small ones. Yeah. And then we get some of the um, red-headed and the yellow-bellied. Yeah. And um, out farther, I know like Bastrop, where we get the bigger, like the pileated woodpeckers. Yes. So those are a few. I may be missing some, but those are... Now, wasn't it thought that like pileated woodpeckers were extinct or something? I believe so. I saw one recently in my house and I get so excited because they're yeah. huge birds. So mm-hmm. if you're thinking that those things are extinct, I don't think they are. No, so they're not. Yeah. No. What was the woodpecker that everybody thought was extinct? Maybe I think there's was. one that's even bigger, maybe. I'm not positive. I'm not positive Don't quote either. me, but... Uh, yeah, don't quote <laughs> us. I was, I was like, oh, wait, because somebody said that they found one of those like woodpeckers that they thought was extinct up in Washington state a while back. And I was like, what? <laughs> but I thought I was affiliated. Maybe I'm crazy. And just thinking, I was maybe like, it's just in that area. You know, maybe, maybe it's just in that area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are some not so typical animals that get brought in? Uh-huh. Has he ever been brought a ringtail or anything? Oh yeah. We yeah. Get, yeah. We get ringtails. Is, is that common? They are, they're not common, but yeah. they're, we get some each year. We do get, I would say four to five each year. Oh, um, actually so this year cute. we have five babies. Five baby ringtails. Wow. I think they're starting to learn to live and they were more of, they're not like raccoons. They don't want to live in the cities like a lot of, you know, the other animals are just learning mm-hmm. to do. But I think all these other animals are even, they're having to learn because of just urban sprawl. And so, uh, yeah, we had a ringtail a couple of years ago trapped down on 7th Street and um, they still prefer the rocky outcrops. They, they don't want to be, you know, around yeah. where people are finding them in their houses more often and, and trapping like everything else. And uh, so we see several babies each year and then a few you know, adults for whatever, usually just trapped, not really any other reason than trapped in oops. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried to bring you an alligator? There was a, <laughs> is it a crocodile? Sorry. There was, I, we had one one time. A crocodile? Which a one would baby. be down in the bayou? Like that would be an alligator, well, I think, were, right? Were you here with that one? That There was one in like Lady Bird Lake or something? Something yes, got a picture of that, like that. remember the turtle chilling on its head? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was so when people were freaked yeah. out. Like I'm like, guys, that alligator is probably like two and a half feet long. Totally, yeah. Not that <laughs> it's big. Not big yeah. <laughs> no, we had one that sadly someone had stolen, like from a swamp or something. Had had it living in their bathroom for a couple years. A couple um, years in your bathroom. Someone else was nice enough to be like, this is not like a How life. Big was it? And so it was really. It was probably about out of three feet or so. It wasn't yeah. huge. They can't grow when they don't have a place to grow. That yeah, a lot of reptile like turtles too. A lot of times will not grow as much if they don't have the space to grow. Wow! Mm-hmm. So we turned that one over to the to the officials. Yeah, and, uh, I think they were going to figure out if it could be released or which I'm sure it could probably better off. Released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So alligators. It's the only one I, I know of alligator wise. Um, porcupines are a cool, okay, very cool one that people just can't even imagine. Um, you know, having and to why would or people with. bring one of those in? So most of the ones we get in are injured, that hit by a car. Oh, and you think somebody's, is, are they stopping on the side of the road and picking them up? Usually animal control. Okay. Yeah, when it. it comes to porcupines, it's almost always animal control. I was like, man, control. that's a brave soul. <laughs> it is. I was like, how are you grabbing those things? You got tools? Tools. <laughs> thick, thick gloves and thick, thick towels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know what's surprising about them? I love them so much. They have this little personality of their own, and they are not aggressive in any way. They're one of the easiest animals to treat, aside from working around like the quills. Um, from the time they come in, they have no problem being around us. Like they'll, you know, the one that we have right now, his tail was broken really badly. Oh. So we had to amputate part of it. And, um, you know how it got broken? We think he was hit by a car just, just the way he had some other scrapes and that kind of over. thing. Poor guy. But just his tail though. So he'll be okay. But he's been healing now for almost two months. So he, we let him kind of walk around the, the place because, you know, he can't be in a cage all the time. He needs to stretch and he'll just walk up to you and he'll kind of sniff your toes and, and, uh, 
you know, wait for some sweet potato or something like that. He doesn't mind. He knows there's no threats. I think porcupines just know there's I, not a lot of threats exactly. in their lives. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they don't shoot their quills. A lot of people think they yeah. actually shoot them, but you really have to actually touch and touch more than just, you know, a little touch. Right. And um, yeah. I've heard that they have almost, I don't know how accurate this is and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that they have, um, how do I describe this? Kind of like a skin that can easily let go of those quills when they come into contact things. Almost like if you think about how a lizard can detach its tail at certain sections, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. they basically know like, oh, there's pressure there and the skin eases up so that the quills come out. Do you know that that's true? I I don't specifically know that. I do know they easily detach. Yeah. Um, like if they, if again, if a dog gets them or something, all those quills quickly go into the dog's face yeah. or, you know, whatever attacking. But even if, you know, we need to wrap a towel around part of it to do something, when we take that towel off, all the quills come out with it. Wow. And do they just grow more? They do. Yeah. They just they keep do. growing. They do. Oh, um, so cool. I think 30,000, they estimate 30,000 quills on one porcupine. Wow. So they have some to spare. And then, yeah, we actually, it's funny, we can shave them off. Um, like if we need to operate on a certain area, we, we will actually use like a razor to shave, you know, an electric one to yeah. shave them off and then they grow back when they're ready. Oh, that's so cool. Now, a lot of people think that they have uh, a capability of just continuously moving themselves through there, like on their own. But I've heard that because I don't know what they're called, barbasols or what they're called, those, mm-hmm. um, you know, flakes or uh, scales, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. that those continue that what i'm trying to say is that the barb is alive and that it moves through so if it goes in your arm on this side it'll come out of your arm on this side yeah it keeps working its way in because of the way it's yeah it's barbed but Mm -hmm. it's not because it's like an autonomous thing that's doing that purposely it's because you're (laughs) moving and as your movements take place it pushes the barb further in and deeper yeah it's working its way and as it just catches onto something different and and continues to move and that's why infection can happen if you're not getting it out Mm -hmm. yeah so, okay, because a lot of folks, a lot of our kids, they're always like, no, like, they can just push right through you. And I'm like, well, yes, but no. I don't think, yeah, I think and it would hurt so bad. Even one of them hurts so bad that you're not going to just let that happen anyway. You're going to be in so much pain, it's got to come back out. Have you gotten hit by them a few times? <laughs> just, like, through a glove, like, where, like, some quills got in the glove. I put my hand in the glove and, like, <gasps> got poked because Oof. it had gone through the glove. Oh, yeah. So not any, like, serious, you know, interactions with them. But Would you say it's akin to, like, getting hit by like a prickly pear pad or something like when you've ever gotten yeah actually it's probably yeah a good way of, yeah yeah i sat it. down in one wall animal Ooh. tracking one time no i was i was totally aware of it i was like it's behind me and the whole and i got to talking and talking and talking <laughs> and i was like yeah i could just plop down so i kind of went into a squat <laughs> right into <laughs> this prickly pear pad i was like Ugh. i had to throw the pants away i could not get those little yeah, blocked hair things out and they kept mm-hmm. poking my butt i was like Ugh. <laughs> so um and when these not so typical animals, so has anybody ever brought in anything that y'all can't handle? Like a, I don't know, a mountain lion or would that go to a different department entirely? It would. So we've had two calls about mountain lions um, yeah. and one about a bear. They were calling from, from way West Texas, but um, one about a bear. And so we, we said, yes, like we can take it if we need to, but yeah, it wouldn't stay with us we just don't have the facility we've never done those before yeah we would need to raise if it's a baby mountain lion like we would obviously need to raise it with other mountain lions anyway if it was ever going to have a chance of going back into the wild 
Um, and the bear, we've never handled a bear. We don't have a big yeah. enough cage for a bear. So we would just work with probably with Texas Parks and Wildlife initially and then get it with some rehabbers that already do, you know, the bigger the bigger animals like those. Yeah, that was my next question was, are there facilities like yours that specifically mm-hmm. handle those bigger, you know, in the West Texas areas, just mountain lions and bears, and they have all that opportunity for those animals? So I know, um, I don't know about in Texas if there's any bear rehab facilities. There's certainly like in, um, like on the, the East Coast, there's a few oh, okay. um, centers that they do because bears are a lot more common. So they raise bear cubs, but they have very specific ways they do it. Only a certain number of keepers can even uh, interact with them at all. There's very strict rules. And mountain lions, I'm not sure because the problem would be release is where would you release them once you did raise them? Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I th- I think they're going to be, unfortunately, a little more common. You know, they are in the area. We've had reports. We know that they're on golf courses and they're kind of around. So eventually we may get one and we'll just have to figure out, you know, who has the ability, you know, to raise it or to figure out what what would happen with it. Yeah. Man, that's mm-hmm. I, I like mountain lions a lot. They're mm-hmm. so elusive and just stealthy. And I know, I guess it's like it's the ranchers who don't like them, right? right. But mm-hmm. I think they're beautiful. Bison, I mean, the uh, black bears too. You know, I get to go out to Big Bend sometimes and we were on the miners trail and uh, we were hiking and uh, these three black bear cubs come running by and oh. I was like, Bird! I was like, stop. <laughs> I was like, because I don't see mom. Right. I was like, I don't see mom. I was like, well, if you don't know where mom is at and bear cubs run by, you better get back. Don't mess with those. Don't mess with them. So <laughs> she eventually came down the hill and passed and she just kind of looked at us and I kept going. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so do you get to do much traveling uh, out anywhere Um Big Bend and all that stuff just to go enjoy the wildlife ever? Um, I've been, you know, with the Texas State program, the wildlife program, they actually took us out to Big Bend and we did some some trapping and tagging and that kind of, oh, kind no of thing, way. which was very cool. What yeah. were y'all trapping and tagging? Uh, so we, well, some people had never actually really seen some of the animals up close. I was fortunate enough to have already been doing wildlife for a while, but, uh, you know, we trapped a couple of raccoons and then they have some, uh, some different mice that they were uh, researching. And they had ear tags in them. Oh, um, we what, did the same what? on the coast uh, down at uh, the Padre Island National Seashore. Yeah. They're doing kangaroo rats. Oh, they yeah. The little Gulf Coast kangaroo those. rats. They're very cute. We yes. caught one with our bare hands one time. <laughs> we all got near its little hole <laughs> and we all jumped at once. And <laughs> my buddy Trey, he grabbed it, man. Shout out to Trey. <laughs> and... Uh, I couldn't believe, I, they're just adorable. Their mm-hmm. feet are huge. Yes. We kind of turned it over yeah. and ex- looked at the little anatomy for a little bit. And those hands are almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I just wonder, I'm like, how in the heck did you evolve down here? Mm-hmm. And Because th- they're a native animal, right? Yeah. Like nobody brought mm-hmm. them here. They're from Texas. Okay. Yeah, I'm always curious. Have you, do you ever, do people ever bring you mice? Rats? They do. Yeah? Yeah, they, like, they do. Like Norway rats or like white-footed mouse or just um, all types? All types. You yeah. know, even the, like you were saying, the hispid that you've got, we've got, yeah. we get some of those in sometimes. Very um, cool. So, you know, people will be cleaning out a shed or cleaning out something and they come across the, you know, the nest of them yeah. or they come across an injured, an injured one. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we order bulk we order in bulk mice and rats to be able to feed to some of our animals oh that's right but if people bring us one we're going to raise it and release it oh it's different well, thank you, know? you for saying that because yes. i'm sure there was some folks who were like you're just gonna feed this right. mouse people, to your fox i think a lot accuse either accuse us of that or assume oh if i bring it that's what's going to happen well um, but if people trust us to i mean to bring it to us then we're we'll raise it it's very different than this you know kind of mass-produced you know, frozen, sure. get frozen mice and frozen rats in that we have to, you have to feed carnivores. Yeah. To feed them a diet of meat. And so, uh, yeah, it's different. 
Um, and what about uh, things like hawks? Has everybody did or do y'all have a specialized center for like hawk rehabilitation or uh, avian rescue? Or are y'all the same organization? Yeah, we take we take them all. Um, hawks and owls and vultures are common uh we can take all the way up to an eagle we've had very few of those come in but we're permitted to do that so we've had two or three come in of those but mainly the um like the red-tailed hawks and the Mm -hmm. red-shouldered are the most common yeah and then uh the great horned owls barred and barn owls Mm -hmm. and screech owls little screech owls yeah a lot of screech owls they're adorable they are very cute yeah Yeah. and it's so funny how many of those things like I'll never forget one time I was playing uh, hide and seek at the Capitol uh, with mm-hmm. this big group of people and I was sneaking up to this bench and I was about to put my hand like on it to get, a, you know, grip and then take off running towards this flag. And mm-hmm. right when I put my hand up, this screech owl sees me and I see it. I don't know if you ever had one of those moments in the wild where you're just so zoned in to something else that you mm-hmm. forget everything else going on around you. And I think mm-hmm. when you're in that mindset, I think it kind of, you know, puts everything else's mindset that like everything's calm because you know there's no focus mm-hmm. on me the bird but when I reached that thing acknowledged me <laughs> I'm just I'm <laughs> really surprised I got that close to it because they're normally they yeah, take off on. and um yeah so that was one moment and then another the the one I talked about earlier I've had a lot of encounters with screech owls now that I think about it mm-hmm. um and has anybody ever gotten anything that you know, wasn't from here that you were really like raised an eyebrow, like, I don't know, like a, like a prairie dog or something crazy. You're like, wow, how did you get that in central Texas? And why is that being brought in? Has anything ever happened like that? Uh, we've had some like that. Yeah. We've had some prairie dogs or one of them, yeah. um, you know, whether, I mean, some people just have pets that they don't want anymore and they try to give them to us to rehome. Oh. Um, but then we'll get some where it's like, well, you didn't get that from here. So where were you? And yeah. What's the story from? And if you cross some state lines, then we don't need to know about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Cause well, you're that's... allowed to cross, you know, state lines with wildlife. Um, right. It's been done. Obviously <laughs> we, we have some stories, but, um, most of the time, yeah, like, um, we've had some squirrels that are not from, from here and we just have to find, you know, figure out like where they came from and how they can go back where they came from. Even, uh, you know, gray squirrels are not here. No. They're, they're in Houston, though. They're yep. as close as Houston. East. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll get them in, and we're like, why did you drive all the way here <laughs> with it instead of bringing it to a Houston rehabilitator? And what are they saying? And so, I mean, sometimes it's that they've had it. You know, they kept it, or they had it, or they didn't know, or they couldn't find somebody in Houston. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a hundred <laughs> different reasons and stories. Um, I've heard them all, but... Um, yeah, I know, they have all different reasons. Somebody had rehabbed a squirrel in New York, and then she moved to Texas, and so she brought it with her, and then she needed a place for it to go so it could be wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, every story that you can think of. Is it an opportunity for people, like, uh, could somebody come to Wildlife Rescue and say, like, I want to help, like, um, like, bring these to my house? Is that a thing? Like, bring the wild animals to their house? Yeah. So if you have a permit, yeah, Texas Parks and Wildlife um does wildlife rehabilitator permits and that's actually how wildlife rescue started in austin and a lot of them started was people were doing it out of their homes they had permits to to do it so say someone would do squirrels and someone else did raptors and somebody did you know raccoons and then they'd all come together they formed a hotline and that was how austin wildlife rescue actually started okay and um, when did it get started in 1977 it's been a very long time yeah yeah and then the intake center we have now in mlk was opened in 2003 because they really had to stop meeting people in parking lots. They just finally needed, they were getting too big. You know, they needed a place, a central place, but they still would take everything home. It was really only an intake center for a long time. And then um, I think there's not as many rehabilitators anymore. It's uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of money and uh, time. 
it's so much time. Yeah. Um, and and you're really not, I mean, there's no like, you're not getting anything back to that money. Unless like, no. ha- like, so how does the funding work? What, is it grants and is it state? Is it something that you could apply federally for? Is it municipal? Um, is it just donation and drive based? It really is donation based. Yeah, there's no city funding. We're hoping maybe for wow. some city funding. Um, how is there no city funding? I don't know. <laughs> oh, come We're on. Trying. We, we get about 10% of our animals do come from um, animal control. And so uh, we are pushing for city funding, but it, it's a long road. I can't believe that. That's really hard to believe that there's no city funding for, you know, they say about Austin, Austin is a city within a park. Yes. And I would just assume the mm-hmm. the whole vibe of Austin with Save Our Springs and all of that, that there would just be a massive amount of funding for what y'all are doing. Yeah. Uh, rehabilitators so. in general, though, are very underfunded. Everyone is a, you know, a nonprofit. Everybody's kind of like struggling from year to year of, oh my gosh, we're going to take in more animals than we did the year before. How are we going to feed them? How are we yeah. going to feed all of them? Well, hopefully some of that social media stuff pays off and y'all can start like getting ad revenue money or right. something, <laughs> right? Because I mean, th- think about that lady, uh, what's her name? Carol Baskins. Oh the, my gosh, hey, yes. she, <laughs> not, not Not to say that she's probably not doing some shady things with all those volunteers, but um, <laughs> there's got to be a way to, because what she said on that video, she's like, I make like $100 per something click or something. I'm like, dang, right. that's I probably where I like, is that your <laughs> private money or is that money going to the, the clinic? Like, so I would hope that y'all could capitalize off of that in, mm-hmm. in return, it would go back to helping all these animals. But what else besides donations, like can people do to help? Like, what are some other things? Um, so some, some things they can just, you know, I think they can really understand the animals themselves. You yes. know, not all these animals awareness. need to come into us. I think awareness is a huge one. And if we didn't take in as many, like if we didn't take in all the animals we shouldn't take in, I would say that's, that alone would save us a lot of money. Oh. Um, so I think awareness and just, I mean, being willing to listen to us too. You know, if we say put something back, like it, it will be okay. Yeah. And that goes all the way from the tiniest bird to a fawn, you know, a, a fawn will be alone for up to 12 hours at one time. Yeah, uh, mom just leaves it because the fawn is too small to to keep up with her, and so people just feel like they have got to pick up that fawn and save it when mom will be back to look for it. And yeah, it's, you know it's sad that not only did you take her baby, but now we have a four hundred dollar fawn that we have to feed for the next six months, right? And care for. So, um, I think awareness is one. I think um, you know donating items too. Like aside from just you know monetarily, we go through towels like crazy. Um, we go through bird seed and bleach and laundry detergent all the cleaning supplies so if people have extra you know towels pillowcases all those things well are really i'll be great. i know people throw that stuff out left and right yep or they give it to goodwill which is fantastic Do you need any but, apple um, cider vinegar that's not one i think we use <laughs> a lot of bleach though lots of bleach to clean okay. up after all those animals well i'm gonna keep an eye out because yeah, we definitely have people who ask us, like, do you need the stuff at the school sometimes? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be considerate Good, as yeah. considering y'all, too. Towels are great. Jeans are a weird a weird ask. Yeah. Um, but we use them for hammocks. Yes. So we can hang them up, and we use the belt loops to hang on the cages, and the raccoons, the squirrels, everyone loves them. They go inside, and they can, you know, six raccoons can go in a pair of jeans if you got the right size oh my goodness Um, and they're sturdy they're sturdy so they're really great but then they destroy them you know each time we kind of turn over a set of raccoons we need more jeans yeah is there um you know you were saying you get a lot of squirrels i have had squirrels like tear up everything in my backyard like Mm -hmm. they disassembled they dismantled uh, a hammock just for (laughs) one thread 
Yeah. Like they chewed the whole thing in half for one thread. I was like, you got to be kidding. So is there anything that y'all just refuse to put in there now because you've learned your lesson? Like I will never give the animals like one of these things. <laughs> um, Not really. I mean, obviously everything is metal because we know that, you know, they'll chew through, they'll oh. dig through, they'll, everything has got to be very sturdy. It has to be metal. There can't be any gaps in the cages. Um, but I don't think there's anything... We did used to use newspaper um, for some of the, like as an absorber on below the towel. And uh-huh. then it would just, I mean, it was just such a mess. The raccoons would just have a field day. The squirrels oh, would ha- like have, sh- again, they'd shred it and they'd put it all in their hammock and then it would be all over the room. And oh, I love it. We're like, they don't need this. They needed <laughs> insulation for their little bodies. Yeah. That's what they would do. They're building themselves survival <laughs> huts. So yeah, squirrels, I think build, I think they're called drays in the trees. Drays. They're like little stick huts and then packed with leaves i didn't know that was what they were called that's what they (laughs) live yeah and well my teacher uh one one of my teachers his name's tom brown and there was always this old joke about you know when he was being taught uh he asked his mentor he's like well how do i build a survival fort he was like i don't his mentor was like i don't know go watch the squirrels there you go. And <laughs> sure enough, he went over there and he's like, oh, look, they're like building a little stick hut packed with leaves. And that's like the go-to <laughs> survival shelter now for almost all schools called the Debris Hut. Wow. So, but wow. drays. Yeah. So if you ever see inside of a tree, like a sycamore or something like that during the, the winter times, and there's this big cluster of dense sticks, mm-hmm. that's probably one of their homes way up there because they live in the very tops of trees. Right. And that's, you know, people don't recognize that as, as a nest sometimes they didn't, or they don't realize that a squirrel makes like a nest i'm not yeah. sure what you know they think they think it's a know. tree cavity but uh yeah and they just you know they cut them down so just like birds we get squirrels in a lot because the trees are cut down Ugh. people haven't like looked before they trimmed to see what's up up in there or even inside the hollow or something like that so. yeah have y'all ever put on classes that are like welcome to um you know like wildlife awareness and has y'all have y'all ever done educational outreach programs as far as an opportunity to like gain um, well, just income for the, the facilities. So we're building that program now. Um, oh, good. I think for us, that's to me and in, in our mission, it's in our mission statement that education is such a big part of what we're doing. So, um, we had just really kind of committed to that as COVID happened. Oh, as of usual, course. Kind of this is the down, story. You know, every everyone, time, every time people are like, we're turning this corner. <laughs> boom. COVID. Boom, COVID. I was like, Ugh. Um, so we do have a part time and we just hired last week, a new part time education person, um, who will finally really start, you know, we we get invited to places, and then we've we've kind of juggled how many programs each year we can do based on just who's available to do them. Sure. And so now we want to actually start pursuing. We want to be able to go out and do them. We want to go to the schools, and I mean, I don't know the schools can really pay anyway. So um, we'd like to have some group set up where you know we charge for programs we come out, but then we'll go to schools and we'll do the programs for free so that we can teach the kids. Yeah. Um, at all all levels um, about you know kind of coexisting with wildlife and how an ecosystem works it's not just like you know you take out a a raccoon or possum and then what else is affected by it or you don't like coyotes so then what happens if they're not there anymore yeah and so um so working on it when you do these educational um presentations at schools what does that look like uh so it's i mean it's usually a powerpoint just because pictures say so much about what we're doing and we can really show the animals without physically bringing oh, animals. Oh, you don't bring the animals, though. We can't, we're not allowed to bring the animals. Oh. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. will you please come to Natureversity and do a day <laughs> where the kids just get, like, even if they were in cages and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it'd still be cool for yeah. the kids to see. There are some very strict rules on us bringing things without it being already an educational animal with an educational permit that it cannot be released. Um, so it's tough for us to be able to really show a lot of, you know, I've 
was trying one time to get some baby possums onto just a news program that we were going to do and parks and wildlife said no you you cannot bring those on i said no one's touching them no one's doing anything with them and they said no it's, it's not okay if you're if you have a wild animal going back into the wild you're not allowed to show it Wow. So that kind of limits us on what we can do. That so. makes sense, I guess. It does make it's sense. to prevent things yeah. from like the whole tiger show story maybe right. from manifesting. So <laughs> that makes sense. So it's a balance, yeah. Yeah. We need to be able to show pictures. We need to be able to talk about the animals, but we can't actually show most of them. Right. Um, do people bring in um, reptiles and things that you're just like, we? you could have just left that turtle <laughs> right there where it was, buddy. Yes, turtles yeah. are another very common one. Really? You know, they're crossing the road. We're about to get to where they're laying eggs. And so, you know, yeah, females what? will travel up to two miles. I thought it was a mile, and I just recently learned it's two miles from water to lay her eggs. And then she'll make her way back to the water. And then uh, number one mom, she leaves all those babies. And then when yep. they hatch, they will make their way alone back to water. Wow. And so people will pick them up just because they're crossing the road. They'll pick them up because they're tiny. Uh, you know, they'll put turtles in water that aren't water turtles. We have to oh. be really careful that, you know, not every turtle... You mean it's like a tortoise ...belongs or in water, yeah. Not every turtle oh, no. belongs in water. Um, and so, you know, there's so much education out there that yeah. you know, we just want to teach people that, you know, yeah, turtle in the road, it's going to pee on you most likely if you pick oh, yeah. it up. Yeah, it's going they to pee, that. so get ready. But all you have to do is pick it up and move it the direction that it was headed. Yes, that's what I tell the kids. it's going that way anyway. All the time. Like, yeah. always tell... go. And I don't know how many times we've had our teachers at, at our summer camps, because we have summer camps over at Roy Guerrero Park, uh, mm -hmm. the Colorado River. And they'll be like, oh, we're heading down the water. We just found a turtle in the road. They'll bring it back to the the thing. I'm like, do you know how long that thing just walked? Like, it's <laughs> like this it whole day. <laughs> you just backtracked it. Yep. <laughs> just imagine. So if you see, folks, a turtle on the street, help it get across the street. But don't bring it to some water point. Just get it across safely and let it keep going. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. What are some turtles that, um, you know, I know there's like bizarre turtles that we have here, like musk turtles and there's like stink pot turtles and all those. So those turtles, are they always in the water or is it like a, because I've, I've heard a story that they will bury themselves in like a torpor almost. Mm -hmm. But I'm so mm -hmm. confused because I'm like, they're a reptile. How are they breathing underwater in mud? <laughs> How does that work? I think they lower their... Can't quote me on this, so I don't know. No, no worries. <laughs> but I do. Mud turtles are one that that bury. Yeah, yeah. They, mostly when it's uh, really cold, they just kind yeah. of go into that state for the for the winter. So they, yeah, they bury up under there, and they must lower their breathing. I'm just so perplexed. I'm like, how are they breathing? Mm -hmm. I was underneath um, the Shoal Creek, you know, bridge, one of them down there, Seventh Street or something, mm -hmm. and it had it was that 2015 flood, and the. I think what the turtle thought was, all right, sweet, this is a good spot. So he buried himself down in there. The waters receded. Oh, no. And then he unburied <laughs> himself. But I got to see the track. And, of course, it's I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like a tracking fanatic. <laughs> and that's some of the most <laughs> unique track in the world to see a, like, stink pot turtle unbury itself and then go down and rebury itself. Yeah. So I was just so enamored. But that was the one question that I've never had an answer to, which is how it would it, I mean, how long would it stay under there in that <laughs> sense? Yeah, I mean, they're usually under for, for months, right? When it's very Gosh. cold out. That's, I've heard they bury up, but I don't know really what, you know, how, they, yeah. how they're breathing. But 
I, I, I got to know all these questions. I know. Nature I'm going to go look that one up. I need to know. <laughs> I know. That's what, here, you're going to write it down? <laughs> oh, we have a notepad over here. And nature, to me, I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. It's like um, it's like being thirsty and you just can't drink it. You can't drink enough, mm-hmm. you know, because I just want to know so much about all these intricacies. Um, somebody the other day was talking about how cardinals wouldn't be red unless they, you know, if they stopped eating, you know, some of the um, Yopon holly berries and things like that, they they would stop mm-hmm. turning red. And I was like, what? I've heard that too. I don't I've know. I've heard but, that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, is that true? Because I, th- when people talk mm-hmm. about the flamingos and the shrimp, right. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no way is that for our cardinals. Mm-hmm. I want to see like a yellow cardinal now. Right. <laughs> but I, We do it. We have one now that's actually very dull, like a dull, dull red and we're wondering kind of what's going on with that one. So, oh, see? Yeah, maybe not getting enough of, <laughs> of the I right know. color food. <laughs> so I've got a, a couple more questions here for you. So some of the, maybe you've already told a few, but um, just more specifically here, craziest rescue story. Craziest rescue. Let's see. So I think some of the snakes with, uh, there was snakes will swallow, unfortunately, like golf balls or ceramic Oof. eggs. Um, but one time we didn't know, and you don't know what you're getting out until you actually open it up and get it out. Uh, one had swallowed an avocado pit, which was about four times the size of its head. So we could not believe that that's what was inside of it. Um, but someone had, they knew, fortunately, that they had put an avocado pit in their compost. And they saw a snake around it. And then they saw him like five days later and were like, oh my gosh, I think he actually ate that avocado pit. And so uh, they brought it into us, and, and that is what he ate. So thank goodness we were able, you know. To, so you just did surgery it on so, it. So we do surgery. You know, people will put out. Sadly, you know, they'll put out the ceramic eggs, or they'll put out the golf balls when they get mad at a snake for being in their their chicken coop. Oh. And so then a snake wow. will eat that, and then they die. Like they can't pass it. Was it a rat it. snake or? It's what? almost always a rat snake. Rat yep. snakes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we'll we'll do the surgery on them. You know, if they're not dying a slow, horrible death. Um, We'll do the surgery on them, and then they're okay. Yeah. But um, we always ask people, you know, you can either super glue or you can nail down the eggs. So if you are just trying to get, because people also put them out so chickens will lay eggs. Right. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about that part, but um, you know, you can nail the eggs down. It doesn't always have to. It's not always a person's fault. They're trying to help their chickens out, and instead the, the snake comes in and makes a mistake. So, right. Um, nailing or gluing down the eggs is always best so that a snake can't accidentally. Got it. Eat one. Well, that's good to know. And then, so I had another question about the most uplifting story, like something that's super like tearjerker story. Like, I can't believe this happened. So beautiful. Um, you know, I would say there's this year there's, so this fawn came in that had both front legs were broken, like badly broken. Wow. And we just didn't, you know, we didn't know, but we were like, all right, let's, you know, let's set them and we'll see. Um, and it's, uh, it's with the herd now, like it's, it's really? completely healed. Both legs healed perfectly. Like they didn't, you can't even tell when you look at them. We know which one it is, but like you can't tell which one it is. And um, he'll just, he's going to be released. Like he's, I don't know. I know that's not the biggest tearjerker. I no, really dug deep, but um, that, that is beautiful. That two, I mean, two front legs. Yeah, because broken. I would imagine statistically that yeah. is very unlikely very. for it to survive and then to even like, yeah. I, do herds have to like accept them back or is it just like a, you just go be with a herd and they kind of just say, okay. Oh, I guess I meant with our herd. At this point, our, our group 60, oh, 70, okay. herd, our deer. Yeah, okay. no, we didn't return it back because, yeah, by the time any of these are healed, if, if that's all that's wrong, but like mom was around, by the right. time they're healed, mom's not looking for them anymore. Right. Um, although some orphan fawns will be accepted by, by a herd. If something happens to mom, they'll be taken in. 
Yeah. But uh, for us, we kind of just, we call ours a herd or two. We have, sure. we have so many fawns and they all get raised together and then they don't like us by the time it's all done, which is what we want. And uh, it's scary to load up that deer trailer when it's time for release because they're all big and they've lost their spots and they're getting their little horn nubs. Oh. And, uh, their antlers, not horns. And um, yeah, they don't want anything to do with any, us anymore. So it's, but that's so good. Though. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly what we want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the other crazier animals and I'm like, hmm. Um, you said skunks. Yeah, skunks, so skunks tell are another us, one of my favorites. Tell us a skunk story about getting into the... Oh, well, I would say, so the worst skunk story personally for me, um, and I was still at that first wildlife rehab center doing an internship. They sent me out, they would send interns out um, to go do rescues if uh, they were a much bigger organization. So um, they would go, you know, send us out in the middle of the night or whenever it was. And so somebody trapped a skunk and uh, they just wanted us to go relocate it. And so uh, I went and I was like over the trap kind of fixing, getting like getting it freed. And I didn't know that a skunk at the time could aim its spray yeah. and could spray straight up. Yep. So it sprayed straight up into my face, oh. my eyes. Oh, and it got you in and the eye? And it was a direct, I mean, it was, it was a horrible, horrible. My oh, eyes were wow. red. It was about eight hours before my eyes didn't burn anymore. My face smelled like skunk. My hair smelled like skunk for about three weeks. Even with some of the remedies they, they talk to you when it's in your hair, it's very different than when it's just on your body. Um, oh my god that was my worst <laughs> my worst skunk experience um and then usually you know when ba- skunks are babies they don't spray and then when they're little they can't really control it so unless you like really scare them they're not spraying and then skunks get more used to us than some of the other animals like we don't want them to imprint and we don't want people to think that they're friendly but they just are a little more friendly than some of the other ones so they do this pounce they pounce at you with their front feet yes i've seen them do that and that's like their warning so they don't stutter they don't want to spray you if they don't have to they can only spray a certain number of times before they kind of run out and then have to re you know rebuild that that supply up and so they stomp at you so usually they stomp at us and then we back off and so it's pretty rare that anyone's getting sprayed um but then for release day you know we can't turn around and go the other way we have to keep coming we have to catch them for release yeah so sometimes someone gets sprayed um but we took a group out and usually you know off they go but uh, there was one and i was trying to get a picture of it and he just he sprayed me i was like what's going on and he sprayed me three more times before he ran off into the woods that's never happened before they usually just run off and you know they pounce at you and then they run off and he was just not he was he was letting us know that he was done with us. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good though. And when they come in, why why are skunks coming in? Is it just like injury for foot or you know tail, or is people are like I found this thing under my house, or why are they coming in? So they have you know their dens are, are either underground or you know they dig a hole, and mm-hmm. so if we get heavy rains. They'll get washed out of their den sometimes, so that's why we'll get kind of bigger groups. So you're probably going to get some soon? Yeah, if we get wow. some more heavy rain, yeah. Although most of them are a little older. We're kind of almost out of skunk season, so hopefully oh, okay. hopefully we, we won't get any little babies. But yeah, if they're in the dens and the rain we just had, we may get some in the next few days. Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't think about that, about seasons and when they're born and how, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think a lot of skunks, it seems, you see them on the side of the road a yeah. lot. And so a lot will get orphaned and then people will will have a set of babies that, you know, just shouldn't be out during the day or something like that. And animal confusion, they're, again, they're not one that people will bring most of the time, but animal control will go catch them yeah, and bring us groups of, of skunks. So, um, is it mostly striped skunks that you get? Almost all striped. We've almost had, all. um, a few of the, um, hooded, 
uh, or hognose. Hognose, yeah, hog-nose. a few of the hognose ones, and those Western are hog-nose. so cute. Um, yeah. Oh, and the the spotted—that's what it is. The spotted mm-hmm. skunks. We get a few, and they're the, the ones that—they're smaller. They yeah. have so much attitude, and yes. instead of stomping at you, they do a full-on like handstand. Yes. And like I, they are up straight. Up. You just everyone wants to do a handstand as well. Yeah. <laughs> as a spotted skunk does, so we don't get many. There, I think they're further east mm-hmm. generally than than we are. But we've had a few sets of them come in, and they have some serious personality yeah. yeah for those of you listening we even don't know we have all the species of skunks in north america right here in texas including one that's unique um which is the pygmy spotted skunk down at the border oh. so we have eastern hognose western mm-hmm. hognose um or i'm sorry eastern spotted western spotted western hognose striped skunks and a hooded skunk hooded. and hooded and hooded. stripes are almost identical uh, okay. it's very hard. I've, I've heard biologists, uh, buddy of mine, Jonah Evans, he's the park mammologist for Tex Parks and Wildlife. He says you have to physically like get a DNA thing because it's almost that difficult. I to, think I did learn about this in school then. Yes. Yeah. They look so much alike. They look so much alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the pygmy spotted, that one's right along the border of Mexico, but that one, mm-hmm. the pygmy spotted is even tinier. It's mm-hmm. like like that big and that's it's a skunk yeah it's so it's like as big as a coke can but i think it still does that little handstand thing so just imagine that little it's thing amazing. spraying yep. you and you're like this guy no it's bad chemical warfare yep. and what is it exactly is it sulfuric or is that what it is sulfuric acid I'm trying to think of what it is. I don't know exactly. I, I think don't know, it, I think that's it is, what it is. I know it can't serious. be muriatic acid. That's it, like it even like cleaner. stains. Like I've had it, you know, on a shirt or something, and like um, even after you like wash it, it's got like a yellow. Yeah. You know, kind of like you can see the spots. I think that's it what it would you. be is sulfuric acid then, because mm-hmm. that pungent odor. Yeah, you can taste it. You can really taste it sometimes if you if you get sprayed close enough. It's it's more than just a smell. Yeah. Have you ever had anything come in um, like a badger? No badgers. No nope. badger. Um, I think um, otters are probably our next. Oh yeah. Like, we haven't had any, but I know of rehabbers close to us, like even in the Bastrop area, that have had some come in now. Yeah. So I think that um, they're making. I and mean, I've heard some reports of them, kind of Bastrop County area, and even. They're all over yeah. the Colorado River right here yeah. where we do summer camp. So I, I'm tracks are surprised that we haven't. So I, I think that that will, and that'll have to be a whole other, you know, cage and set up and everything we build when we do eventually oh get those in. Oh my goodness. Um, they're they're, they're cute. so I'm, freaking cute. I don't want any to be orphaned, but I wouldn't turn them down. If I know. <laughs> if they came Man, in. Man, they're playfully cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when, let's just, can, can you do me a favor and kind of walk me through the process of what this rescue entails? So you're at your office, mm-hmm. somebody brings in an animal and then let's just say it's a squirrel. Mm-hmm. And what, what happens from there? So if they bring it to our intake center, that's where we get the majority of our animals. And when's your intake center located? There, It's on MLK, 5401 MLK. Got it. East MLK. It's uh, like MLK and 183. Okay. And we're down a dirt road that people miss all the time. Uh, uh. <laughs> so uh, it comes in and we evaluate it. So we take a look. We make sure it doesn't have any, you know, injuries or any, you know, fly eggs that turn into maggots, which happens in the rains. Um, any, you know, there's some animals that we treat for like parasites and stuff ahead of time. Squirrels aren't one of them, but there's some that just get medications when they come in. Um, so we can take care of any parasites they would have. And then um, if it, something needs x-rays we do x-rays if they need any kind of a treatment or a bandage we we do that at our intake center that day and then each evening all the animals go to our rehabilitation center that's in elgin 
awesome. And that's where they will stay until they're ready to go back out again. So that's where the deer and all the creatures are are out in Elgin. Right. They're not down on MLK. Right. They used to be until about four years ago. Wow. When we opened our facility. Holy cow. It's amazing to think that we did all that in like three I know. And a half. Yeah. I'm like thinking about <laughs> that. I'm like, so what does it take to get a wildlife rehabilitator license? Uh, so there's several steps. You've got to go take a class, like with the International Wildlife Rehabilitation class, sure. and uh, a test. And then uh, you need people that will write you recommendations, and they prefer those be people that already have a license. So okay. you've been working with them. Um, a vet that will sign off that uh, you know that she'll she or he will look at your animals if you need help. And then um, you've got to have the setups at your house. So like Texas Parks and Wildlife has a whole list of, of their standards. So if you have this animal, you need this size cage, this animal, this size cage, and then three levels. If you have a baby, if you have a juvenile, if you have an adult animal, what size cage you need, what kind of, you know, like bottom the cage needs, what kind of perches it needs. And so depending on what animal or animals you're going to rehab, you have to be able to show a game warden when they come to inspect you that you have that whole setup, you have all the feeding equipment, you have the formula, um, you have whatever it is that, that you need to be able to, to kind of full on care for them or at least um, get them to a certain point and then get them to a, another rehabber to be able to care for them. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a lot of steps. It is. It takes a while. You really, I mean, and I would hope people wouldn't want to do that anyway if they weren't ready to do that. You know, if they weren't really familiar with the animal or animals they already want to take care of. Yeah. You know, it's not a trial and error anymore. It used to be back, you know, when everything started in the 70s. I mean, there weren't a lot of people that were doing wildlife rehab. And so it was kind of, you learn as you go. Not a lot of vets have experience. They still don't, really. Uh, it's hard to find vets that will help you with wildlife because it's just so different yeah. from dogs and cats. And so, um, yeah, hopefully people have worked with other wildlife rehabbers or at a center like ours for a few years before they really kind of commit to, to doing it at their house. Has anybody ever brought in bobcats? Yeah, we take in bobcats. Yeah, you take yeah. in bobcats? Mm-hmm. Bobcats, yeah. coyotes, and uh, foxes are kind of our big foxes. Bigger, bigger Do y'all ones. ever get red foxes? Rarely. Rarely. I've, I've seen See, a that's couple. what I keep telling people. I'm like, they're like, oh, they're everywhere. I'm like, no, I think you're mistaken. I think you're seeing the little peppery gray ones. Yeah, the, and the gray ones have some red sometimes. Yeah, they so sometimes. people just think, they just think it's a red one. But um, yeah. yeah. Gray no. foxes are very common compared to the red ones here. Yeah, and we actually have like... For sure, um, scientific research grade proof that mm-hmm. there was a red fox living in um, Roy Guerrero. We have his tracks. Oh, like uh-huh. they're very distinct and unique compared mm-hmm. to a red or gray. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had two biologists look at them and go, "Yep, those are red fox tracks." Some, and, but everybody was like, "It has to be a pet. It's got to be a pet uh-huh. that was released uh-huh. because they're like, it's just not around here. It's yeah. not a thing. Like they wouldn't come this far mm-hmm. and then just decide to reside in." Right, yeah. you know and <laughs> yeah. so i was like no because i was totally bought and sold i was like no it's just wild so why because mm-hmm. there's that wildlife sanctuary right across the river mm-hmm. from it um that backs up to it and so i just thought oh yeah it's just totally coming from over there but uh the more and more i think about it i haven't seen a lot of red foxes and now you're telling me like we don't get a lot of red yeah. foxes so it makes very, sense very that it would just mm-hmm. be maybe somebody's pet that got loose mm-hmm. um you know what it was weird talking about that wildlife uh, management area over there is one time we saw a deer swim across that part of the Colorado river. Uh-huh. I didn't, I've, I've never seen a deer swim. <laughs> that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like it's neck was, it was like up to its chin and it was just like bobbing, going head left and right. I was like, guys, look. And I pointed at it and all the kids were like, was that a deer? And I was like, yeah, it's so weird. So if you get to maybe type in deer swimming in river and see uh-huh. how bizarre that looks, it, <laughs> It, 
I thought they would always find a low spot and walk through. Right. Like I never yeah. thought about a deer swimming. Maybe it didn't know. Yeah. Maybe it kept thinking it was it was gonna <laughs> make yeah. it before it got too deep. And that part of the river is wild because it'll push you down. So as he was crossing, oh. he was slowly <laughs> getting pushed down. I was just watching, like, do I gotta go rescue you? I gotta bring you to Ailey. Um Well. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to share with us? So how can people get involved? Um, how can they contact you? What is it that you would like to share with us so that our listeners can come bring you brush and food and bleach and all the good <laughs> all things? All the good things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're on MLK. We're, we're relatively central, a little east, and um, open 9 to 4 every day, weekends too, 365 days a year. So that's what we let people know. I mean, if they have any animal, any time, holidays, nights, you know, wow. um, we'll, we'll take it That's and, and help it. And again, we're a, a nonprofit that only, you know, donations, grants, fundraisers is really kind of where we get our, where we get our funds. So, um, if anybody wants to donate monetarily or old towels or, you know, a washer that maybe they've used for a couple of years and are getting a new one. Uh, we do 14 loads of laundry a day. Wow. <laughs> hey, I have a gas dryer in my dryer, in my garage. Oh, no gas. So we don't ah, have, I was going to say you might have, have a gas. There, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, there's so many things that we can use pecans if they're gathering pecans in okay. their yard or something like that. Sure. We have squirrels that they're expensive to buy. We rarely oh, yeah. buy pecans. So we depend really heavily on um, either pecan farms that donate ones they can't use or people that just, you know, gather them for us. Yeah. Do you think that squirrels, like, if if the Nature Versity kids were to bring in a giant bag of pecans, I don't know that they're, like, perfectionists at figuring out, but they would, the, the, the squirrels would figure out which ones are bad and which ones are the good real oh, quick. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if we just brought you a big trash bag, you could, oh, the yeah. squirrels would figure it out. Totally, okay, good. yeah. And we'll go through some, like, because when they're little, we crack them for them. Yeah. Oh, until they get okay. Old, until they get older, we're actually cracking, and we're pretty good at, at telling yeah. <laughs> how many we've cracked. Uh, but yeah, squirrels need to know what's bad too. You know, they're not going to get all good ones in the wild. So yeah. once they go outside, they're getting kind of, you know, the handfuls of pecans. Man, that's so cool. Well, Haley, I could sit here and talk to you this whole day <laughs> and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. And we would love to have you back in just maybe like, you know, four five, six months, just mm-hmm. hear how things are going over there with you and just catch up again. So that would be great. Thank you for awesome. having me. Yeah, of course. And is there anything we would, you would like to share with the audience about the following, like your Instagram or Facebook? Um, where can we follow um, you at? Yeah. Instagram and uh, Facebook are great. We post different stories on them, you know, every, every day, every other day. And that's also where we kind of put out calls of if we really do need something or if there's ways to, to help like the branches with the deer that we talked about. Yeah. So um, yeah, please follow us on, on those. Awesome. Well, everybody follow Austin wildlife rescue and thank you again so much. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.